Uh, I am named Kenneth Lee Pierce. Uh, the middle name Lee uh, is after my dad, Larry Lee Pierce. I know you're really intrigued about this. His dad's name is Reuben Lee Pierce, and Aish and I named our son Joshua Lee Pierce. So in case you're not good at math, that's four generations of Lee Pierces, right? Uh, here's an incredible picture of us, uh, nice and pixely, when my grandfather was still born. Okay, enough of that. Uh, <laughs> yes, I had brown hair. Yes, that's right. It was blonde before that, so just so you know. My grandfather, Reuben Lee Pierce, was a, after he retired, he became a pastor. And uh, I asked him, uh, after he passed, I asked the family if I could have something of his, specifically a Bible. And he had his Bible he preached from. It had these wide margins in, in the Bible, and he would write notes from his sermons in there. And that's, that's pretty significant to me, pretty special to me, especially since I'm a pastor, too. And I know that some of us pass along things to each other. Who put that back up there? Um, so now you're just, wait, did Liam do that or did Sean do that? Uh, somebody's got a nice sense of humor, right? Uh, I, we pass stories along to each other, not just stuff. I know that every time I start telling the story, my kids kind of collectively do their eye roll, but I tell the stories anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes we pass along stories. Sometimes it's things. Sometimes one of the things that our parents or grandparents pass along are prayers for us. My grandmother was not very wealthy, so when she passed away, she didn't leave a lot of things to us. In fact, I think I have a few bowls and a painting that's in my office. But, man, she was a prayer. And she prayed for me regularly. I was her special prayer project. I won't explain why that was the case. But uh, she used to say, Kenny, I know God's got something special for you. Just pay attention to what he's doing. And, uh, and so thank you, grandmother. Uh, maybe at some level, I am a product of her prayer, of her prayer. That's what she passed along to me. Uh, maybe our stories, maybe stuff isn't important to anyone but us. Maybe there'll be some people who'd be interested, but mostly it's, it's to us. And today we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus, and we'll see some stories that are quite interesting. Some unexpected stories, some unexpected people. Um, just like uh, us, these stories matter, and they kind of stack up to become something important. And I think what we're going to discover as we look at this uh, genealogy is that God has the final say-so. God has the final say-so. And the final say-so is the advent, the hope of Christ. That's the final say-so when we look at the genealogy. So we're going to briefly zoom in and look at the genealogy of Jesus. And um, I should have asked the Middleton family to read this for us. Uh, but they all left, and I didn't give them any advanced preparation or anything like that. So I actually asked three people to read this instead of me this morning, and all three said, no way. So, uh, so but here's a, here's a suggestion for you. As I read through it, uh, try not to pay too much attention if I mispronounce something. I'm not an expert at that. But maybe you can sit and close your eyes, don't fall asleep, close your eyes and listen. Listen if, if you see a th or hear a theme something that maybe you haven't heard before, 
or something interesting, you know, maybe even write a note, look it up later if you want to, right? But try to see, or if, if closing your eyes isn't your thing, look at the screen, look and see if you can find any themes. So we're going to read from Matthew. Matthew and Luke both have genealogies. Matthew is the one that we're going to read today. And so starting with verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amimadab, and Amimadab the father of Nashon. Amimadab, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? And Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph is the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltil, and Shiltil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, we're getting close, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, he was the father of Joseph, the husband to Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so all the generations, from Abraham to David, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Well, Father, as interesting as this is to read, and listen to. Help us not to kind of get lost in just the, the father of, the father of, the father of, but rather help us to focus in right now. Help us to see what it is that you want us to see, why this genealogy was important enough for both Matthew and Luke to include it. And Lord, what can we take away from this? What do you want us to learn this morning? How can we be different people because we understand the genealogy of Christ. And so God us as we look at your word this morning, in your name I pray, amen. Well, investigating your genealogy has kind of actually been somewhat popular these days, right? The DNA kind of ancestry 
sort of thing. It's been popular, actually, for the past 20 or so years. My dad did one, Larry Lee Pierce, remember him? My dad did one, found out that uh, we were mostly Welsh and a little bit of Irish, tad bit of German. There you go, Joe. We're, we're related somewhere along the line, right? Which means I have pieces of those, too. Uh, many of you guys know uh, Roy Higo. Uh, he's a, a longtime member of this family. He did a research and found out that it's possible, he's not 100% sure, that he actually has samurai in him. Now, those of us who know what samurais are tend to, or we think we know, tend to think, you know, a sword-wielding kind of, you know, tough guy. And it's not that Roy's not tough, but you just, you just can't imagine Roy being a sword-wielding kind of guy. He's a really meek and, and calm guy. But he discovered that possibly is in his background. I was talking to, or I asked uh, uh, Gray about his, and I, if I understand this correctly, Gray can give me the thumbs up or a thumbs down, but you had to trace yours all the way back to the Red River 1800 thing that to be able to prove that you were actually Métis ancestry. Is that correct? Yeah, and so there's, there's all kinds of interesting things about our genealogy and, and, and studying that. Here's an interesting one. Here's an interesting reason uh, that some people study genealogies. Um, if you want to be a member of the Daughters of the Revolution in the United States, I know that you're just itching to be part of that. You have to prove somewhere in your family background that someone in your family, some Yankee in your family, shot a red coat. The Boston Social Registry still uses this as a litmus test for invitations to their social events. Interesting, huh? So when the Jewish exiles uh, in the biblical day left and came back, you may remember we studied this under Nehemiah and Ezra, those guys who were going to serve in the temple as priests had to prove they had the genealogical record that allowed them to serve, to be the new priest in Jerusalem as they rebuilt. And so for a man in biblical days, not a woman, a man, in biblical days, to not have a genealogical record would kind of be like someone who lost their passport in a foreign country or maybe someone who had their identity stolen, right? So genealogies were full of significance. And, and this is one of the reasons that Matthew includes this. It's important to know from where Jesus comes. It was prophesied that he would come, that he would be in the lineage of David. And so he wants to show that. And some scholars believe that proving Jesus is from this lineage of David was actually the only reason that Matthew included it. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there's another whole other study. I encourage you. It's kind of a little bit of a sidebar here. But if you want to do this, uh, actually, Jesus was adopted by Joseph. He wasn't Joseph's son. So why isn't there a genealogy of Mary in this? Interesting, huh? Sidetrack. We'll back, back to the sermon here. But that's an interesting thing. Uh, but I think there's other reasons Matthew probably included this. I think that uh, some obviously significant things emerged, some things that uh, you probably caught if you were thinking threads. For example, in this genealogy, there are five women mentioned. And it's very unusual for a woman to be mentioned in any Jewish genealogy. Four of the women were not even Jewish women. Interesting, huh? So in verse 3, you find Tamar in verse 5, Rahab, uh, and then there's Ruth in verse 6. She's not mentioned, but there's Bathsheba. Look, look at this. David was the father of Solomon, 
whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It's as if, for whatever reason, Matthew couldn't just kind of say her name. He, I don't know why. It's very interesting. It's, it's, it's a very interesting. And then finally, in Matthew and uh, verse 1, chapter 16, Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Now, you may have heard a sermon or two, maybe more, on these women. And typically, the sermons that I've heard are that these are all bad women, women of uh, not so great reputations. And no matter what their reputation is, no matter how bad they were, God can still use them. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just tired of hearing that sermon. Uh, Not that God can't use people no matter how bad their circumstance is, but I, I think those women don't get the right credit when you preach like that. In fact, if you really wanted to look a little deeper at the men, it's not so good. I mean, think about both David and Solomon. They were both polygamists. David was an adulterer, maybe even a rapist. David was a self-confessed murderer. So some of these women, like Rahab, don't look so bad anymore, right? So to be honest, I don't think we really want to go there. I mean, uh, you know, if we look that deeper, it just it wouldn't be good. So let's glance at the list, though, just a tad bit more, and not at their sins. That, that would just be kind of a drag to look at all their junk, right? Let's look at what some of these people represent, some of these that you probably have not heard much about, all right? So here's the first one I want to point out. Father, Ram, the father of Amimadab. And uh, Jewish historical tradition, so this is not in the Bible, but this is based on Jewish tradition. This is probably something Matthew knew. Uh, Abimadad was a slave. He was in chains. And Abimadad is in this genealogy, I believe, not just as a tongue twister, although it is a good tongue twister, but as a symbol of those people whom Christ would come to free from their chains of sin. It's an interesting representation, I think. Verse 12, Zerubbabel, the father of Abuhud. Zerubbabel was the rebuilder of the temple. In Nehemiah, you see this guy saying, come on, let's do this. He's a blue-collar kind of guy, but he was excited to come and be part of rebuilding the temple. He's throughout the story of the exiles returning. And there he is in the ancestry of Jesus, who would later come and, and cleanse the temple, who would say, if you tear the temple down, in three days I will rebuild it. There's Jesus, the new temple, the new temple. Right there in the line of Jesus is this guy who is all excited about the temple. And here comes Jesus, the new temple. Finally, let's look at this one, verse 12, Zadok the priest. He's one of the priests who served after the exile when they returned. And he too is in the ancestry of Jesus. He's a priest. And Jesus is the high priest. And I love these different things that we, we can pick out from his genealogy. And if you look closely, there's a thread. There's a thread. The hope and the salvation that brings to, to, it comes to us through Jesus comes through all sorts of people. And, and these, of course, are sinful men and women, but they're people like bricklayers. They're people like me, even, priests. <laughs> there's people who are in bondage, people who aren't free. There's all sorts of people. And Matthew uh, adds an obvious fact. Uh, Let's look at this again at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David 
were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now you're thinking, why did he list all that stuff? And it's interesting, there's this mystery in Scripture about numbers, especially with the number seven. And this is a multiple of seven. So this one's 14. Uh, And if you ever study about numbers, you find all sorts of interesting things in the scriptures. Well, there's this one theologian that I read, a guy named Campbell Morgan. I'd not heard him before, but he wrote about these sets of 14 that Matthew uh, mentions. I thought, that's really interesting. I'll share it with my friends at ECC. So the interesting thing that he mentions first is that there is this age of faith that begins with Abraham. And yet it also represents the failure of faith. So we start reading with Abraham, and then you end with faith's failure, the end of that 14. Then there's that second one, that second group of 14 that starts with David, royalty. He's the king. And then it goes on through the list. You know, you go down through Jehoshaphat, 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 yeah, let's say he says his name, Uzziah, Manasseh, uh, Amos, I think, was one of them, Amon, and you see that the royalty just dissolves. Starts with the great King David and then just dissolves, failure. And then you have this whole generation from the beginning of the exile to current time, and it's just a constant failure. They come, they're going to do this, and they don't. It goes downhill. And he observes that each of these begin with a success or something big, and each of them end with a failure. And at the end of all of those episodes, three different 14s, comes the advent of Christ. Comes the Lord Jesus Christ. The end of failures. Interesting, huh? And the reality is, to my heart, maybe it's to yours as well, is that whatever happened last year, whatever failure, whatever frustrations, whatever happens, For those of us who wait for the coming of Christ, failure never need to be final. There's always a new year with Jesus. I can just hear Grace saying, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? There's always a new year with Jesus. In my own genealogy, there's this failure of marriage. My uncle on my mother's side, not the Pierce's, but the Daffron's, he did this genealogy, this genogram, this tree thing that he built. He did the software and went back several generations all the way back to France. Um, And when you create a family tree and there's a lot of divorce and remarriage, that picture starts looking really complicated. (laughs) And I remember when I first looked at it and I just stopped and I thought, oh, by God's grace, by God's grace, I don't want my marriage and my children's marriage to look like this genogram that our family tree has. And I realized that when we begin to wander from the center, Christ, that's when our marriages begin to wander and become at risk. And I want to stay close to Christ. And I want my kids to stay close to Christ so that their marriages will also last. And so what's your story? Is it failure? Is it a list of mediocrity? Is it this big, huge wave of successes? What is your story? Whatever your story is, Jesus can enter your story exactly right now. Whatever that story is, 
Jesus can come in. He can take this old ancestry, this, this old stuff that didn't work, and he can finish it with new life. And I, I think that that's such good news, that it brings us to a place where we want to worship him. If I think about my story, if you think about your story, if we think no matter what it's been, if at the end of our story enters Christ, and the end is right now, I don't mean like you're going to die today, but I mean if Christ is in your story now, then it doesn't have to be failure. And it's not all about our successes either. It's about Christ being the main character in our story. And you may be thinking, that's it? That's what you got for us today, Ken? Out of all this genealogy, that's what you got? And I say, yeah, that's what I have. And I think it's huge. It's simple, yes. Sometimes simple is all we need on a Sunday morning. Simple can be good. So here's what I want you to take with you this, this season. The failure isn't this final word. That Jesus brings renewal. And as we sit through Christmas songs and messages, know this message right here. The final word is in Jesus Christ, that he brings renewal. And I think that's such good news. That's such a reason to worship. And as we take this with us throughout the Christmas season, let's let this be our focus as we worship. Like Elaine told the kids, let's remember why we have our Christmas. And not just Jesus, but that Jesus has the final word. Amen? Amen.